Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 13, issue 602. And today we're going to talk about stacking. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Brian Edwards. Make way! Ryan Jow. Hello. And Tony Atkins. Hello. Stacking is a third-person puzzle adventure game. If you like. Just say it looks so much like a uh, 3D platformer, but it's definitely not a platformer. Like, it doesn't contain any of the, like, acrobatics of platforming. Uh, No. And so, uh, like, purely puzzle exploration type of puzzle game. Um, Yeah. But it's interesting how it kind of uses that visual language as well. There's some light locomotion, but uh, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, actually, some quite heavy locomotion with all the trains in it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's made by Double Fine Productions. Originally, it was published by THQ on consoles, but uh, that deal lapsed from 2013 onwards. So ever since then, stacking has been a purely Double Fine thing, although I suppose now it comes under the umbrella of Microsoft. And in fact, I hadn't even realized that uh, this is actually on Game Pass now because I guess their back catalogue of their library got absorbed into that as part of the takeover because when I popped an achievement, it said, turn in your Game Pass quest. So I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah. okay. Can I, yeah. um, just real quick, because I, I had already owned yeah. it, was the DLC included on Game Pass as a part of that or no? I it think is. so. It is? Oh, beautiful. So first correspondence is from Blue Weasel Breath from our forum who says, Tim Schafer Games often throw a couple of seemingly unrelated ideas together into a perfectly suited combo that creates wholly original worlds to get sucked into. The juxtaposition of matrioshka dolls and silent film era trapping somehow goes together in stacking, just as seamlessly as film noir and Dia de Muertos did in Grim Fandango. Now, I don't want to sound like I'm calling out Blue Weasel Breath here, <laughs> um, but but and, and I think anyone could be forgiven for saying it's a Tim Schafer game. Tim Schafer founded the company and greenlit this game, uh, but. He is not a creative force on this game. This game is written, designed and directed by Lee Petty. Even the blurb on Steam says, From Tim Schafer's (laughs) Double Fine Studios. And I get it because he's a popular and well-known figure. But I think almost, I mean, I, I guess if he's as nice as he seems to be, I guess everyone loves working for him and with him. And they probably don't resent it too much. But if I was Lee Petty and I'd written, designed and directed a game and everyone just said, oh, it's that Tim Schafer game, I'd probably be a little bit frustrated. Yeah, I um, it was interesting uh, reading through the show notes and seeing Blue Weasel Best uh, comment, um, because I would think that you if you most people probably do believe that most double fine products yeah. are just, you know, products of, you know, Tim, because he's such the face of that company and. Totally. That documentary yeah. did so much to both uh, build up his status as like an industry icon, but also endear him as just like a a seemingly regular and approachable human being. So so what and they make games that are very easy to love or at least to feel good about playing, you know, yeah, warmly um, towards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, the goodwill Tim has kind of built up, I think, for better and for worse, kind of extends to the point where people just think everything kind of comes from him, yeah. from that company. It's, it's an interesting relationship because. I think it paints the company in a positive light to be associated with him. But like, mm. as you said, if you're if you're the person that did create it, like, is there some resentment there? I'm not sure. But no, I, I think it's two tone, isn't it? It's a marketing thing. So Tim Schafer is sure. well known. If you put something from even from his company, then you go, OK, well, I kind of there's an aesthetic or a, a feeling about what that game will be. Um, so, I, you know, from a marketing point of view, of course, it it makes sense. But and 
I mean, the whole gaming industry is weird in that way, isn't it? There's there's development houses and studios where you're like, oh, which which place is it from? In you know, but I think in in this one, yes, it I'm not not it is more of an individual work. And in in funny kind of um, watching some of the documentary stuff based around that, it was what seventeen people working worked on yeah um, stacking. So and none of them Tim Schafer, none of them Tim Schafer and, and Lee <laughs> not, Petty, not pretty any, much not in any big way. Yeah, yeah, was the writer, designer, and director. So kind of filling yeah. in three of those main roles and having that real kind of proper hand over the top of them, much as a Tim Schafer project would probably have yeah. Tim Schafer's uh, thing. But yeah, it's from the outset, I think most people would assume it's just a Tim Schafer joint, if that makes sense. Well, just yeah. like we've observed well, yeah. from The Nightmare Before Christmas, it's pretty common for Tim's to get credit yeah. for uh, directing yeah. things that they <laughs> indeed have no hand in directing. <laughs> very true. But yeah, I, I, that, classic Tim strategy. Yeah. Yep. That did actually cross move. my mind. But of course, with The Nightmare Before Christmas, at least the Tim involved in that did actually come up with the characters and the, the basic <laughs> concepts and ideas. Whereas in this case, everything is 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 uh lee petty's and as far as we know um other than saying yeah you can make that game which maybe a lot of studios wouldn't have said yes to um tim schaefer didn't have uh, a huge amount of hands on um but i'm sure he was there for support and advice when needed and all that kind of his sole credit on the game is um creative lead of the studio yeah it was released on initially on playstation 3 and xbox 360 february 8th and 9th 2011 13 years ago pretty much the Windows version followed March 2012, and then the other operating systems, Mac and Linux, followed a year after that in May 2013. Reviews were really quite positive, with a game rankings average of 86% and a Metacritic score of 84. Looking at user reviews today, we have a Metacritic of 8.1 out of 10, although that's only from 46 folks. And on Steam, it's still listed as very positive. Although, again, a relatively low number of people have registered a, a review, just uh, 871. Um, but more interestingly than those numbers, why are we talking about stacking today? Well, it's our first team pick of the volume and it was picked by Brian. So explain, why did you bring us stacking <laughs> this year? Um, I have grown, I think I've said this a couple times before, to appreciate games that are wholly unique experiences more than I appreciate kind of your big budget, giant, 100-hour epic stuff. Um, I think part of that might come with age and free time, mm -hmm, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. so which I, I, I completely understand. You know, it's certainly easier to, to appreciate a game you can knock out in an afternoon than one you got to dedicate months of your life playing at my stage of life. But um, either way, I had a couple ideas for games I wanted to nominate, and Stacking has just been a game that since I was lucky enough to be asked to come on this show is a game I I really want to talk about with some like-minded people. So it, it came up because it's a game that I think about really often uh, for a number of reasons that we'll get into as we as we go into it. But um, as far as my personal history with it, I mm. looked at my true achievement uh, data, and apparently I started this game February 19th of 2011, so just about a week and a half after it came out, and yeah. I had completed it by that I mean I had gotten all the achievements in the game, all 200 points worth, on the 23rd of February 2011. So about four wow. days of pretty much nothing you but stacking. You caned it. What's that? You actually caned and rinsed it. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's I, what that means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a joke. Sorry. Yeah. A good um, one. And, and yeah, so I, I really just remember having a beautiful few evenings just like, like it was one of those games that I started – 
kind of couldn't believe what I was seeing on screen from the sense of like, like how did this thing get made? Right. And, and like the art style, the tone, the, everything about it was just so different and so unique, even in that early Xbox live arcade era where you have your braids and your limbos and these other things like, like this, this game just stood out to me from a visual standpoint. So I was drawn to it. I thought it was just a neat idea. And then when I started playing it, it just, it was scratching that adventure game itch for me. I, I really enjoyed the loop. And uh, yeah, so I just basically spent four days straight playing it and in my free time and finished it. And then according, again, according to my true achievements, I played through and got all the achievements in the DLC uh, looks like in one sitting here on April 27th of the same year when that came out. So fair to say that from uh-huh. essentially day-ish one, I was on board with stacking and I've been back to it a number of times over the years for this show. I, I replayed the main campaign uh, uh, last week uh, for over the course of, you know, four or five hours. And then yeah. um, I replayed the DLC this afternoon in one sitting um, right nice. before recording just to be as fresh as possible. And I'm thrilled to be talking about it since this game has come out. I've become quite the, Lee Petty fan um, and, the, and the games he makes and the things he does have become kind of day one things for me. And the reason that is, is because of my experience with this one. Excellent. Good stuff. Tony, what about you? Yes. So for me, um, I do remember the the talk around st- stacking it, or at least I was a Brutal Legend fan. I know there's not too many out there, but I really liked Brutal Legend. And I remember that not, achieving the heights I, you know i know tim schaefer and, and you know double fine wanted necessarily or there's a lot to talk about it not being the commercial success they needed it to be and i remember at that point them floating out the idea and this being a big a big thing because there wasn't too many companies talking like this about abandoning this this big triple a adventure and producing a bunch of smaller games to try to kind of recoup a little bit of energy back into the team after spending a lot of time with brutal legend um, and I'd played Costume Quest and really liked that. And I think I must have been aware at the time that this wasn't necessarily just a, a Tim Schafer game. And I remember the, the whole talk around Tim Schafer having these kind of game jams and, and whatnot within the companies to kind of to find ideas. And this being one of these one ideas that percolated to the top. And um, I remember it coming out and, and being really unusual um, at a time when you've got to remember, you know, downloadable games weren't you know weren't proliferant like they are now <laughs> everywhere but and it was um so there was there was kind of a bit of hype behind this one um but i i didn't play it say on my own personal account per se um i played it with my wife and um we played for it together uh, on her account and so that was yeah a good co-op experience kind of just working out the puzzles together yeah. Um, and it looks like, yeah, once again, thanks to True Achievements, we played we played through it over uh, basically a month, um, about six months after its initial release. Um, but I decided to rerun for it again for the show because it's been a, a good few years. So mm-hmm. over the last last week, yeah, last week I've been playing it, um, just running through the the thing all by myself, and and basically uh, managed to hundred percent it on my own profile so that's taken a little a little longer than i expected it to but um very good um it's been yeah it's been it's been a journey shall we say so yeah i've got a co-op experience back upon release and a, a fresh replay you know in you know many years down there was it 12 years are we now More 13 13 yeah. years down the line which seems incredible but yeah here we are ryan what about you 
Yeah, I've always been a big fan of uh, Double Fine. Um, Psychonauts and Brutal Legend before this were both huge for me. And so when they started getting into, uh, like Tony said, kind of smaller downloadable titles, that felt like a really intelligent way to uh, perhaps mitigate the risk of taking such mm. uh, big and wild swings with mm. some of their concepts. Um, it, it just felt like a really intelligent transition for the company to make. Um, and, you know, especially with comedic games, they run the risk of perhaps like overselling the joke if the game is this, you know, 30 hour epic. Uh, and so something a little bit more bite sized, I think, really suited Costume Quest well. That came out before this one. And I believe that there was, I don't remember if they announced them all at the same time or whether. It was just kind of in quick succession, but it was uh, Costume Quest stacking and Iron Brigade, which was called mm. Trenched at the time, I believe, um, was, were yeah. all kind of, there were this like trio of these small mm -hmm. experimental titles. Uh, and I think that we knew from the beginning that all three were coming out in generally what they all were, but I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But um, it was still really early in, I mean, it's three years after Braid, like that kind of point at which mm -hmm. the xbox live marketplace became uh, a more kind of feasible way to to market mm -hmm. a standalone mm -hmm. product uh but it, it was really early in the general course of like proper like triple a studios you know triple a ish studios um marketing their games on purely digital platforms like that just wasn't that common even back in 2011 and so this was this was exciting and a lot of uh, a lot of areas. Um, and then, of course, I'm a huge fan of uh, of stack-type games, um, this being the very first <laughs> and potentially last of them. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I played this one on PlayStation 3. Uh, I got the, uh, the additional um, bonus joy of every time I highlighted the, the tile that the piano music would kick in uh, on mm, the uh, PlayStation yes. 3 home screen, yeah. which is wonderful. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, I played this through pretty much at launch and then i replayed it on the steam deck for our um for our show just a couple of uh weeks ago so i'm this is fresh in my memory and like brian this is one that i continually think of over the years um so i'm uh yeah i'm excited to uh to be able to chat about this one my memory has failed me on this one i had always thought that i'd bought it at launch uh well if i did i didn't complete the first level for five months or something because my <laughs> my first achievement was in june and then my second achievement was in july 2011 and my third achievement was in january 2024 <laughs> so <laughs> basically i'd uh i'd started it played a level played another level a few weeks later and then didn't load it again for 13 years <laughs> so I went back to it yesterday and um, and have now completed the game. I haven't got all the solutions, uh, as you could imagine. Um, it takes a little bit longer, although you can do it in a few days, uh, if so inclined. But yes, um, I mean, classic, buy a game when it's new-ish <laughs> and get excited and think, oh, this is fun. And then, yeah, and then just put it aside. And I mean... Yeah, 13 years yeah. 13 years though yeah but yes that's um that's why this podcast exists in many ways so i'm not going to knock it uh yeah so i just completed it yesterday including the dlc uh which i found yeah one solution for i guess of each section anyway 
we'll talk more about how the uh, how the puzzling works out. Chris Hunter from our Patreon posts. Ten or eleven years ago, I had a random work-free Friday owing to doing weekend work at the time and the flat to myself, with the other half being at the office. I fancied a relatively short, chilled game, so onto the PlayStation Store I went and downloaded Stacking. I remember those circumstances well, but I'm struggling when it comes to the finer details of stacking itself. I do recall, however, having exactly the kind of relaxing, low-key experience that I was seeking on that particular day, supplied by a game with bags of charisma, originality and charm. Beyond the gameplay, stacking was notable to me for a couple of reasons. One, it was my first console download of a non-retro title. And two, it was, and I think remains, with the possible exception of Journey, the only time I'd ever completed a game in a single sitting. I didn't make any serious attempt at the collectibles or the multiple puzzle solution. I played stacking on that one day, had a jolly good time with it, and have never felt the need to revisit. Hmm. So let's talk about the sort of scenario of the game. Uh, we haven't, have we mentioned Russian dolls yet? Uh, it's probably high time we did. <laughs> I think Blue uh, Weasel Breath's uh, Patreon post did mention that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, important, uh, important stuff. So the Steam blurb says, From Tim Schafer's Double Fine Productions, explore <laughs> a vintage world of Im- inhabited by living Russian stacking dolls as you jump into more than 100 unique dolls and use their special abilities to solve a wide variety of puzzles and challenges. Play as Charlie Blackmore, the world's tiniest Russian stacking doll, and embark on an adventure to rescue Charlie's family from the nefarious industrialist known only as the Baron. This imaginative third-person puzzle adventure game will take you on a journey from a rustling, a bustling royal train station to a high-flying zeppelin as you collect unique dolls and matched stacking sets to display in Charlie's secret hideout where you chronicle your adventures. Now, I remember seeing screenshots and noting the sort of the sepia tone and the, the rather unusual look to the game and the fact that you're obviously controlling these Russian dolls uh, and just finding it intriguing and it appealed to me in the same way as a yeah like a, a quirky stop motion animation mm. might and indeed it turns out that one of the the key inspirator inspirators inspirers of the of the project were, were the brothers key the uh, the noted uh, american stop motion animators which makes sense um i didn't know too much about the the scenario going in and obviously the fact that i left it 13 years between starting mm-hmm. the game and finishing it meant that I guess I wasn't thoroughly gripped by the story, but um, but yeah, there's quite a lot going on here. Brian, was this for you one of the reasons that this game's stuck with you? Yeah, I think so, and it's it's hard to now separate it all from being you know one big experience. But there's something that I'll always love about being put in the shoes of kind of the most, whether it's the smallest, the least powerful, the most downtrodden, you know, kind of character. You know, like like here we are, this little kid and your family's been essentially kidnapped into servitude by the Baron and, and you're off on this, you know, what seemingly grand adventure to go rescue the whole family. And, and the only one that it's up to is, you know, little Charlie kind of going off on his, on his adventure with, with the help of, of Levi, the hobo. And um, yeah, that, that did, it did draw me in right away. There's something that I'll always, uh, that I'll always be kind of drawn to an experience where, it feels like you are taking the role of the underdog. Um, it's weird because if you think, if I think about a lot of the games that I have loved over the years, or games that are like my favorite games of all time, like you're always, almost always taking control of like the hero, the super powered, 
you know, your Nathan Drake, you know, mass murderer who can never die type of person. And, and in very rarely are you put in a position of what is conveyed to you as being one of little power or one with little influence on the world around you. And as you find out very quickly, and, and this is something that Lee Petty has said in interviews beyond the game that, you know, Charlie is the the smallest uh the doll in this universe. However, he is essentially the most powerful because he can, he can take over everyone else around him. But, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that kind of builds from there. But yeah, it was, it was just, it it was, how do you, how do you build a story around stacking dolls and, and how would that kind of present itself? And kind of from that industrial revolution looking tone and the way that the, um, the dialogue was conveyed to you through those silent film um, vignettes. Like I, I'm a huge fan of Mel Brooks's silent movie, which is the, the you know, mm. draws reference from a whole genre of film that I'm really not familiar with at all, but I'm a huge fan of that. So like kind of right off the bat, this was pitching softballs right down the line, right down the middle for me and um, mm. drew me right in. Ryan, my favorite thing about the, uh, about the presentation of the characters is, uh, and this this might have a little bit more to do with the visuals, but um, I, I I like how the characters are animated in that uh, they they hop around like you know like you would expect from a yeah. stop motion animated type of thing, but then sometimes when they're speaking, they speak from their like the opening in their stomach, like where the other <laughs> yeah, dolls would go yeah. in, and that kind of operates yeah. as a mouth, even though they have. Uh, and, and it's funny, like there are some characters that have. Uh, that have hands that are separate from the body or like there's the mm. the big guy with the boxing glove and he just has a floating boxing glove next to him there's mm-hmm. the guy that can slap you with a with a white glove um mm-hmm. and those are always separate from the hands that are actually painted on the figures themselves which i think is another kind of like cute touch there's just a lot of like really cute small details and i think what stuck with me the most both times that i played this is just that it looks like it would be so much fun to draw these character textures on all of these different models. You have a very <laughs> yeah. consistent shape that everyone has to adhere to, you know, this, uh, this bowling pin type of shape. But uh, all of the characters are so, so intricately drawn with so much character, with so much personality uh, in these like fully three-dimensional wraparound textures uh, that just looked like it would be so much fun to design original characters, to paint them, to have the skill to paint them in the first place. Uh, but even the some of the, the way that they have like different walking animations. There's the like, there's the like sexy lady one that can seduce people, and yeah. she has like a really exaggerated like hip sway. That's yeah, yeah, somehow kind of intelligently she has hips communicated. Despite, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They all have hips. Uh, yeah, they bulge yeah, in the exactly. middle, right? Yeah. So, so my couple of points in the story. It, yeah, it is. It's quite. Buddy, actually, because you're talking about kind of like almost speaking through their 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 kind of body hole as you take midriff, yeah. and that always it reminded me of Ten Tenants and Philip from South Park. That kind That's of exactly, like, yeah, 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 that, that yeah. mouth kind of like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> like okay, this is odd. Um, but so I, I'm running with two kind of headspaces here. I I, I remember the visual and the gameplay structure of uh, stacking. You know, back when I, I played it upon original original release. And that stuff, yeah, that's the stuff that was seared into my brain coming back to it, you know, playing it 13 years later. But here I am 13 years later going, what is this story? Like, I don't remember this story being quite as as dark as, <laughs> as you know, this, it just wasn't what I was expecting 
either probably back in 2011 or, or in 2024. Probably no nobody made that much of a fuss about this uh, this anti capitalism, anti child labour, <laughs> yeah. industrialist uh, based narrative. Then uh, there would probably be more of a kind of big deal made about it. Yeah, now. it's just it. Obviously, I think in in your head, if you're talking about you know Russian dolls, you, everyone has that image of what Russian dolls are, and it'd have been very easy just to fall down the, the trap hole of that what that image is and make a game around it. But that's clearly not the direction they went. And here we are. It's it's. Um, was it the industrial revolution and um yeah just child labor being being the the forefront of this this whole it's about the the poor rising up yeah, against, basically yeah, to yeah. overthrow overthrow the, the the capitalist rich yeah um but really i'm not sure this... if it has much more to say about it than that but you know honorable intentions i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but bizarrely interesting also slightly awkward to watch and play because it's it's not necessarily what i expect him to be playing mm. in a game like this um interesting to see you know the concepts of of you know the the smaller you are the less powerful essentially you know or the the smaller dolls are generally the kids so they're the ones with the less kind of power but kind of the ones that are doing the more kind of minimal jobs until you get to the the typical kind of big rich barons that have kind of I don't know. Got to the the higher point in life, and kind of their 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 um, abilities are are kind of just rubbish or pointless, like just farting and and laughing and big yeah. handshakes and yeah. stuff like that. Nothing adds to society, and it's all you know about money and coins and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like there there's there's a load of layers there that I just wasn't yeah. expecting to be in Which a I game about Russian of, dolls. <laughs> I think it's true of a lot of uh, you know uh, well known kids stories, movies films books they always have or often the good ones have those sort of layers to them but here it's um i don't think this is this isn't aimed at at children necessarily but it is a game that you could play on play as a family um and different people would be getting different things out of it and maybe the message would be going in on some level to the kids i mean ultimately it is a a tale of empowerment isn't it for the children because they they have ultimate control over everything I could tell you what, firsthand, my my six-and-a-half-year-old yeah. son watched me play a majority of this game uh, a couple weeks ago. We were sitting on the couch together, and, and I was explaining to him what was going on. He can read mostly now, but he he's, he has trouble mm-hmm. with certain words. So uh, we kind of played a game where those vignettes would come up, and he'd try to you know mix out the words. And, and I remember the one, uh, the one character <laughs> talking about how the – I forget the exact phrasing, but basically that the – the children who were shoveling coal were arguing for like were were arguing for like a ten minute lunch break or something like that, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and this and this kind of high powered guy just being like absolutely flabbergasted that the, the the kids who are the workers would ask for something as mm. you know lofty as a ten minute break. And I remember my son sitting next to me. He's like, "The kids are shoveling coal." I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, "He's like, well, that's that's not cool." His exact words, and that's not cool. And <laughs> yeah. um, and Did I, you actually have a conversation then about so yeah, how t- this yeah, was based started, in reality? Yeah. yeah, so I told him that, you know, back then kids used to wear, and then, you know, then of course I'm, you know, now I'm fake threatening with sending him to the coal mines. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah. To, to build it up, but, Chimney but he, did, he did kind of do one of those things, like, you know, almost, and this is going to sound so reductive of children, because we, we in general do not give them nearly enough credit, but, he, but this is the only way I can know how to describe it. He did that kind of Labrador head tilt. Like when mm-hmm. he saw that, he's like, "Wait a second! Like this is so, not, this isn't cool." So I think one of the most interesting <laughs> things of being a parent, uh, my girls are just about, well, I've just turned eleven, um, is that they're into the area now where they're reading things like, you know, about the suffragettes and stuff like that. So you know, mm-hmm. yeah, 
they they, they start to experience what I don't know the the world was you know over the, over the you know different generations and what it was to be a female at any one particular time in history or and that could apply to any one particular thing but to see their faces and and kind of have context of what it is today and just kind of and like you say head to it like what what kind of world right. was yeah. like why and then you're trying to answer why that may be and how the powers would be that led that and you know it's it's honestly fascinating to see kids mm. kind of understand a world previously yeah. gone where we've kind of built that around our heads um, and, and and you need to and i i need to be completely transparent here mm-hmm. we were having those con those conversations about you know the the child labor and labor in general and kind of the state of labor right now i'm trying to tell him about how things are and then on the other half of that he is telling me get back in the doll that farts <laughs> so we get back in the middle of fart, yeah. and we're farting all over everything and laughing, yeah. you know, so, so it's definitely, you know, it's, it's a scale for sure. But, but there is, there's a darkness there that I just wasn't expecting in a video game like, like this. And I, and I, I think I really appreciated it. Although in some regards, it doesn't necessarily make it a particularly fun, fun time, happy, you know, Russian doll experience. It, um, there's a lot of context that's going on. Although, although I think mm. the vignette, vignette, uh, are interestingly done. They don't always have a lot to say, <laughs> but um, they are interestingly kind of a kind of a, I don't know, a little break between the gameplay. It's also interesting how they set them up almost as a stage play too. You know, like mm-hmm. characters kind of come in left and right. Like it's a, the set is Seen moving in the background. Down, yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a just an interesting stylistic choice. What it whether that's additive or not, I, I I'm not quite sure. But um, well, I, sure, I did well, like looking at it. There's a scene where you're explaining your story to Levi and to. To indicate the passage of time, they put a two-scale giant pocket watch in front of the screen yeah. um, to kind of yeah. cover up the transitions for what's happening back behind. Um, I, speaking <laughs> of Levi, kind of another element of the story that perhaps feels like a little bit, I don't know, maybe of its time, but I really like it. Like mm. I, you know, I think over the past 10 years, especially, there's been a lot of additional uh, sensitivities raised for the homeless community. And yep. it, it's something that we don't as often really kind of like joke about or romanticize in the same way that it was done Mm -hmm. back in, you know, depression era (laughs) literature. Um, But um, I, I've always really liked, and I might be telling on myself here, but but I've always really liked the kind of romanticized, like the hobo on a journey, the, the ones who form a community Mm. and help each other out and have their own, you know, the, the written language of the, of the homeless and, um, this this very rooted in the time period uh not quite Mm. magical but kind of communal uh like the dlc is specifically about the kingdom of the hobos and uh you know there's there's other media that points to this as well i really like the uh, moonshine holler segments in the thrilling adventure hour uh comedy sketch podcast and and Mm. stuff like that and so it's just like it's a it's a type of story that we don't see that often anymore and yeah. I could probably say that, like, yeah, it's it's probably best that we don't tell these types of stories as, you know, maybe as often as we used to. But at the same time, there's there's something that's very kind of cozy and affirming about it when when I do mm. encounter something that was made <laughs> a little while back. Maybe it was just me, but did you ever feel like you were invading people's privacy? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I know this... I know this sounds weird because you are just... Well, uh, invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I, even at the end of the game, <laughs> I still wasn't sure whether people 
like nobody else can do this, right? Nobody else can stack into other people's bodies. Mm. So they, you're just jumping into random souls' bodies, completely taking over their movement, um, getting them to do things essentially they don't necessarily want to do, and then just jumping out again. And there was quite often I was doing. I was like, this feels vaguely wrong. I don't know why, but this <laughs> just feels vaguely wrong. <laughs> Yeah, there's a little being John Malkovich about it, isn't there? Like just mm. the you know the, the unwanted <laughs> visitor in my head, control at the controls. Um, yeah, it it it's interesting. I it's one of those things that I do know exactly what you're talking about, Tony. And and I felt that when it would, particular when I was uh, taking over somebody that you know some unwilling or unknowing, you know, just passerby that I just needed. And especially I, I when need I a was bigger just, size, you, yeah. You, yeah, you'll I, do like, anyway. I wasn't even <laughs> using them for what their skill was. I just needed a middle sized doll to get to the big doll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's very, it's very much. I was just using this uh, this uh, <laughs> doll, this person. But I think um, for me, the fact that it was this sort of slightly playset uh, vignette, you know, miniature kind of world sort of scenario involving dolls, sort of helped me justify that the sense that it wasn't really living beings you're kind of telling a story and you mm -hmm. need to do this thing to tell the story right um so it didn't feel like i was actually I actively like robbing other people of their free will or anything like that but some of it also comes from when you jump into people like the people around you act surprised like <gasps> like they they have an yeah. emotional jump it's like oh my god did you does anyone else just see that and you, especially if you start then doing whatever their action is like you know dousing them with water or setting them on fire or punching them <laughs> or headbutting them or yeah I mean, it is it is a it is a, a sandbox as well as a puzzle game. But I think, I think mechanically, the kind of the genius of the the Russian doll setup is the fact that, and I know this was the the kind of the intention is that it meant that you don't have to have either an inventory or a set of verbs mm -hmm. because you are both your inventory and your set of verbs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And all you all you have is a control stick and a few buttons. You got one button which which is basically just a talk, which you don't actually even need to do at any point i don't think it's mainly just to get kind of information mm -hmm. really you just have a left stick um and uh and an a button to do the thing um and it's incredibly streamlined in that respect i think it, it does it really does take away that problem from adventure games it doesn't solve every problem obviously but of taking items from your inventory and clicking them on things to see does one of these things work on does does item A work on item B over and over and over again if you're maybe stuck looking for a solution it it makes it a lot easier to just experiment cuz you're just like um you know you grab a doll and this doll punches like Ryan said the pugilist right so I'll punch this thing and and even if the punch doesn't solve the problem you'll normally end up with a funny line of dialogue or the mm -hmm. the item you're punching might react in a in an amusing way um but then it's clearly not the solution to your problem. So you're on to the next solution, which is then another doll. And um, you, you get a a direct and, and an immediate response of, is this the item I need or not? No, great, move on to the next thing. And uh, it, it does streamline that in a way. Now, I can, I can maybe see how some players would think that was a little less, gives you a little less options, but I think they solve that with the way the puzzles themselves are structured yeah. with multiple solutions. I think kind of like yes and no to the streamlining aspect. Like I, I respect the elegance of design and the kind of immediate, immediate understanding of, you know, it's very upfront with, um, with how the mechanics work together. But uh, 
you do essentially still have an inventory pocket because you can only carry, you know, so many different dolls at once. And hmm. depending on what's nested in I guess, which other yeah. ones. And, you know, sometimes you need to get you need to get a particular doll past a barrier. And so you need That's to think true. of a bigger doll and make sure you have the correct smaller doll hmm. inside. So there's there's still a little bit of that kind of like fiddliness. And I'd say the one aspect that is just a little bit less convenient is um, these are very, very, very large stages. And so if you did just have every verb in your pocket, like a secret of Monkey Island, then you could it, you could always have your, uh, you know, your, your grog available to test on whatever you need to test it on. But if you get a particular idea um, about, you know, a particular verb that might help you solve a particular puzzle, they're usually positioned pretty close by. But if you have an outlandish idea... You could spend a lot of time hunting through these very, very large courses to try to find just the doll that you need to um, to test whatever it is you want to test. Mm. I think the levels get bigger as the game goes on, as well, kind of unnecessarily so bigger as well. Yeah, I think that we'll, we'll probably talk a bit more about the gameplay me- mechanics of that in a little while. But the, I think that issue comes the more you you mess around with some of the broader do i want to achieve all the goals set out with mm-hmm. a certain level i mean they quite often just to get through the game there's normally the one really clear cut straightforward here's mm-hmm. a doll here's a solution move on for the story as you try to do all the tip box in 100% some of the mm-hmm. solutions require multiple dolls to be stuck into multiple situations to get to a place to use multiple things and that's kind of if you're willing to go down that route, then that's fine. But quite often I, I, I found if you just wanted to kind of be lined to the walls and just see the story and just the basis of the game, the, the, you know, there's a fairly obvious solution to most puzzles. Mm. And they normally, um, not to get too deep into the puzzles, like they're normally pretty straightforward. I say they, I just mean the designers um with the kind of the outward solution, um, they they give you that tutorialized version in the first area, but then in every area, normally there is very much a here's the puzzle, the area, and then in that puzzle area, there's one doll you've never seen before. And you're like, I could probably use that doll to do what I need to do, and then you can kind of work it out. And then there's those sub layers of well, oh, there's five more question marks here. How else would I think to do that? And then it starts to really build on those more simplistic systems into into just providing you with an only if you want to engage with it yep. uh, and uh, a, a real chance to test your adventure game acumen or mm. whatever you want to call so it. So just to, just to kind of wrap up and talk about the, the visual stuff, um, I I think while I was watching the, that interview with, or in an interview with Lee Petty about um, how the visual design came up, and he made some really interesting um, observations about, you know, it being stacking, stacking dolls, like there's a fairly simple, you can make each individual design and these and you, you know, have the abilities of each character fairly simply because you're not talking about individual limbs or anything moving about. It's about just kind of giving them a hip sway for one character or a a top hat with a whistle on top of the head, giving them, you know, really identify what they do rather than building a whole great big 3D model around these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it saved them time. During that interview, what really impressed me, it sounded like they had basically, they made this game in just under a year or around a year. Yeah. Um, which always... A sleepless year for Lee Petty, according to that's, him. That's, so, yeah. you know, when I think about... He worked about, very hard. When I think about, you know, 
how the game turned out, you know, a year with 17 people, like that's that's actually pretty impressive. You know, probably on a, a fairly kind of like side budget as well. I, you know, I think they did a lot with obviously, you know, it's the support of a, a, a big enough studio behind them. But, you know, they, they achieved a lot, I think, from a visual point of view. And there's some really clever decisions, you know, when you have a little sometimes they produce more interesting results because you know the, the dolls made sense in this this context how to design each individual character on you know a short time period like some of that stuff i think actually played out really well just because obviously they're on a short time period and they're on a, a tight budget and they're on a, a smaller scope um team um i think they they achieved a lot with you know maybe a little and how do you make each character visually distinct from from one another when their model is exactly the same like the that that goes into the detail he was talking about of, of the kind of the line drawings and and the the features of each doll like you know b- because each doll is and and I found myself even in this replay uh getting a little confused where I would hop into a doll that I yeah. thought did this but it actually did that and it's because I was only looking at that doll from the back and if I went around to the front I would have noticed oh this is the doll that can find unique dolls as opposed to the you know the the doll that does this or whatever uh, that, um one that is one of my criticisms actually of the, of the game is even sometimes when I, I knew the doll that I needed, like just trying to remember like, okay, well that, I need the doll that basically had that high pitched screen to achieve this. Mm-hmm. And even though that I remembered using that doll, I'd be walking around going, what did she look like? Like, and eventually, <laughs> yeah. you know, you jump into, you know, okay, it was a female doll and it was roughly in this area and I jumping into it. Okay. Now they have that ability. So this is the one I need. There was a number of times where I was not a hundred percent sure, <laughs> even though I knew what the, what ability I wanted what the actual doll was unless it was one like i say with a whistle on top of his head or a coal bucket or <laughs> you know mm-hmm. something of a real obvious um statue um but yeah they, i think they got like over 100 characters um and i think yeah essentially of there's a lot of those characters that you don't use for any of the puzzles and you haven't done all the 100 mm-hmm. percent complete playthrough of it you know there's probably 50 characters there's probably another 50 characters that you don't actually ever do anything with other than just jump in and kind of mess around and have fun with their abilities yeah yeah i mean it was a great way as uh as he discussed in in the internal interview they put out that there was no way you could make a game with over 100 interactable characters if you made them all fully animated and articulated so while we we're praised the fact that there are some uh, changes to their the, their gates such as they are the fact that they are these hopping dolls is the only way they could uh, they they could do this so it's kind of where the yeah the style informed the the substance and made it a viable product i suppose mm. for for a smaller team in a in a smaller amount of time we we should mention as well though that the uh the alternate solutions to the puzzles aren't the only kind of optional uh, challenges that you can engage in with these yeah. dolls as well. Like I really like the hijinks menu that essentially just gives you kind of like a written, like a a title for, uh, it's like achievement hunting, really. It gives you a title for what a particular hijink, hijink <laughs> is called. Um, and, uh, and then it's up to you to use the correct doll's um, ability. Uh, oftentimes, you know, in conjunction with or against a particular other type of doll, you know, like uh, headbutting mimes in particular a certain number of times. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, then that'll give each doll that you achieve their uh, individual hijinks action, um, like a gold accessory that they wear around, which always feels 
pretty rewarding to uh to achieve as well that's that's really fun i've i've often uh hypothesized in the past about wouldn't would it be interesting if there was a point and click adventure game in which every possible object worked with every puzzle so it's a game that always says yes to you and this game gets a little bit closer uh to that in that um there are so many solutions to each of the puzzles but um so it so it doesn't ever feel like you're really like wasting your time by trying something you'll you either be working towards like a hijinks goal or you'll be achieving one of the alternate goals but uh, it doesn't say yes to everything but it it gets closer than uh than most point and click adventure games do i i this afternoon while playing the dlc i was like i'm just gonna do one solution for each of these puzzles get to the end make sure i make myself aware of it and I get into that little kid who can put patches on other dolls. I put a patch on a doll. It's like, <laughs> put patches on 10 unique dolls. I'm like, well, let me just do this real quick. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I'm going around and I'm just slapping all these dolls. Next thing you know, I'm 100%ing it again. You know, it, it does have that. <laughs> it just it just breadcrumbs you towards these things that really don't, you don't need to do to beat the game at all. Um, but they are there for you to engage with should you choose. And, and if you are someone who wants to do that, then like you said, I think those rewards are pretty cool for, you know, but what what you're really just getting out of them is just your little proof to yourself that yeah I did that thing. It's, it's kind of a neat way to build an in-game achievement system. Mm-hmm. Blue Weasel Breath again from the forum says the game's aesthetics barely seem to have aged at all. The only element of it that I had difficulty with was occasionally having trouble finding my way back to where I wanted to go in bigger levels, like the Zeppelin. Should be said that the game does uh, have a, uh, a almost Dead Space style floor marking if you tap the right bumper gives you a an idea of roughly where you should be to limit uh limit your backtracking and aimless wandering also there is a hint system built in which uh which has i think three hints for any particular puzzle you could be stuck on um only limited by a cooldown and not punished for use whatsoever the uh, floor tracking is a little bit uh annoying to use in that you have to be standing completely still uh and then as soon as you start moving again mm. the trail oh, disappears yeah. and yeah. so sometimes absent-mindedly yeah. i'll press the button and then find that the trail is like obfuscated by my character and i can't actually see which set of stairs it went up and i have to yes. reposition myself and come to a complete stop again but uh but it's still yeah it's very helpful for what it is it at least points you in the right direction some of these levels like i've said are perhaps a little bit too large for my liking and don't have a Mm. great amount of like uh not signposting but like uh, identifiable landmarks that you can use to always know where you are in relation to everything else and so those uh those little trails um were really helpful for uh kind of mopping up those final challenges yeah i find the the zeppelin stage to be particularly uh poor offender on that in fact yeah. um replaying this game for whatever however many times i've completed over the years um, i was stuck at that exact moment blue Riesel breath it described and like like i was done with the zeppelin i just needed to get back and i just I <laughs> figured it out you know and i walked around you know i got it it was with i mean maybe five to ten minutes of doing it but when you are, you know, it, when you're stuck against something like that and there isn't that that direct signposting, it becomes, you know, just apparent, you know, that this is this is a little bit of an issue. But the, you said those some of those levels 
do have a ton of space to navigate and you don't have a way to navigate from one end to the other without just walking, you know, walking there or hopping there as it were with the bell. So um, absolutely could see that. Yeah, there's, there's, I think it's one of the, it might be the Zeppelin where you can go from one side of the Zeppelin to the other by yeah. like a high mm-hmm. wire, mm-hmm. Um, which cuts out like a whole load of backtracking. Um, didn't find that until right to the very end where I just <laughs> yeah, right, I so. randomly talked to the guy and was like, oh yeah, just like, oh, by the way. And I was like, oh, for goodness, like that, that would have saved a ton of time. But um, yeah, like you, and, and I think some of this come from having to do these the extra challenges because it would require a doll somewhere else within the level. And you think, okay, well, I remember seeing whatever that may have been back at, at, at the earlier stage and I found myself going round in circles thinking, oh God, I've already been here. <laughs> like, I took a wrong turn. I would, and then you'd find, you know, you'd find yourself all the way back to the very start of the area and think, Did I, I must have walked past the thing I was required. And that, okay, was that in the middle? And then realize, and I, I had this one where you can, you can basically go to the smallest doll and then you go through a hole in the bottom of a door. Um, and that's the only way into like the poker room. And I walked around this level like half a dozen times trying to work out how to get back into the poker room. I could see it from like a gangway and went round in circles, 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 and then realized, oh God, no, I do remember like a 20 minute, 25 minutes ago in the, in the story, I had to go through the tiny little hole in the door to get into this area. And of course, that's the way you had to do it, but it, it wasn't you know, entirely signposted. I needed to go that way again. So it's a small frustration. I also think, um, so playing this, you know, in, in 2024, I think, Visually, it holds up fairly well. It's it's stylized enough, so you know it 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 still holds up really well. I think I I was playing it on the on the Xbox and quite low resolution. It's a bit blurry, a bit a bit fuzzy going on around the edges, <laughs> and that that didn't help. Although I'm sure that probably wasn't really an issue back when I was playing it in 2011. So I I found myself playing this on uh, um, my Asus Rug Ally, um, just through game streaming based onto it and because that's a an eight inch screen and it was running at 1080p on an eight inch screen it looked really sharp and really clear and really popped out the screen and interestingly it made for a really good handheld game i'd imagine on the switch this would be brilliant um steam deck whatever device you have there is no switch version no surprisingly and it would run perfectly fine but um yeah because it like you you almost feel like you're your handheld, you've got this tiny little kind of window you're you're staring into. It works really well with the kind of the visuals of um, the way that it's almost like cinema scope in the in its presentation. So I found that to be a, a, a joy to actually mess around with and just play it as a handheld game outside of the actual uh, bigger screen. And, it, you know, it just looking really, really sharp on a smaller screen. So if you've if you got the ability, I'd say, yeah, if you've got a Steam Deck or whatever, then and give that a go because it, it really works well. Yeah, one of the visual touches I did like was the... Um where the uh, it's like the idea is that the film isn't quite uh, aligned correctly to mm-hmm. the screen so you can actually see the bottom of the next frame appearing mm. or whatever which is quite it's cute. A, um, yeah. occasionally a little well bit too of... close to the character as well i found like the the field of view could do being the camera could have done with being pulled out a little bit on occasions mm-hmm. you know yeah, we should say it was um, influenced by uh, the the look is I can't remember if we did say, but influenced by tilt shift photography. And um, yeah, for anyone who's seen the YouTube channel Flirde, I think or Flirdy, I'm not sure how you say it, but they do um, they do a series of videos on all different games called Tiny dot 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 name of game, 
and that actually kind of imbues all these other games that you might not think of whether it's cyberpunk or whatever with a almost stacking like aesthetic in the sense that the animation frame rate is cut down and the the focus uh, is is done in such a way as it makes everything look like it's a little um, diorama mm-hmm. um and yeah this this game obviously was quite ahead of the curve with that stuff mm-hmm. i would say also does some interesting visual uh i would i would almost call them filters uh depending on what dial you're in um most recently oh, just yeah. I played this afternoon uh, mm. i was playing if you if you grab the little fisher boy in the dlc section you can fish out a deep sea diver out of the ocean yeah. and you get in him and he's you could it's almost like a fisheye lens and you're kind of mm-hmm. like wobbling mm-hmm. around a little bit it's kind of fun or or it, some of the animals have different you know filters on them so you're seeing things through their lens and things like that um just just those little details enough to, and I think this is probably very hard to do, I certainly wouldn't be any good at it, is in a game where all characters do look fairly similar, or at least are designed similarly, to then give give different roles or different dials that visual distinction, just to let you know that you've hopped into something different. It's almost like a cue to the player to remind you that, oh, this is a different dial, it does a different thing, it does this, does that, and... um I, I really did appreciate just like the the smaller visual things that it, this game would do to just either lead you in the right direction or to remind you that the doll that you are now inhabiting can do A, B, or C. I think it it's it's pretty smart with how it uses those. There's also an interesting visual perspective is when you're a, the smallest doll, um, looking up at the the big you know the big dolls they look massive like in comparison mm-hmm. to you they, they're the ginormous things um but when you're in the the biggest doll and looking down the small characters they don't actually look that small because i think it's almost like an adult's kind of headspace it's like oh yeah just small children like the world is you know this is how big everyone can see what i can see but as, as children looking up to these big adults like they just this, you know take up this big space um, it's a bit like um, Katamari Damacy, yeah, uh, a yeah. game series yeah. we're covering soon. In that the scale actually shifts based mm. on the scale of your self. As it oh, were. you know, I never thought about it that way, but it's a, that's a, that's a great comparison. The, that moment where you hit that next level and the and the screen kind of does that twinkly star effect, and next thing you know, yeah. your Katamari is big that's enough, it. and you're rolling up things that you were just so small next to, mm. and the prince is barely visible anymore. You know, and it's uh, it's interesting, yeah. Should be able to stack the entire uh, Earth. Uh, one yeah. one small um, that could be the sequel. One <laughs> small uh, technical complaint, and then one uh, design compliment uh, that goes along with it. Actually, is that uh, there was one time that uh, the first session that I played on the Steam Deck, for some reason the uh, button prompts were stuck in like PC keyboard mode, and so everything that I was oh. seeing on screen. It didn't translate into the proper like Xbox buttons like I would expect. It's a little annoying that sometimes mm. happens with older games and PC ports in particular. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, as yeah. as a way of, uh, it was kind of eased by the fact that even when the game is in PC key mode, uh, everything is still arranged in the like north, south, east, and west button placements uh, like you would have. Uh, on the uh, like nintendo switch doesn't even show button labels anymore they just show like the north out uh, north south east and west uh when they're trying to prompt you to hit buttons and and i I really appreciate that and that even though it was giving me the wrong information it was still done with such like a a 
immediately understandable visual language that it didn't even require uh, like a translation in my mind. Like it was, you know, I, I hit B even though it says Q and that's okay because it's in the right position. So yeah, it, it, and also it there's its no problem. Uh, jeopardy for making a mistake no. in this game that's whatsoever. Yep. Is there really? Yeah. Uh, even if you get thrown out by there, there are some moderate um, intensity, I would say actually low, low intensity stealth uh, elements later on where the only punishment is a brief cutscene showing you bouncing back into where you got <laughs> thrown out of. That's the kind of game it is. Um, Yes, I did want to say that, um, again, in the interview uh, that's uh, available on YouTube, uh, Lee Petty was saying that um, the artist uh, team was was uh, quite keen on going heavier with the sort of the the, you are uh, in a, you know, tiny world in a, you know, the kind of Jerry Mouse um, matchbox for a bed kind of you know sort of thing and there is a certain amount of that but he said he didn't want that to be the uh like every element of the aesthetic in a way that some games have that sort of idea that concept so not everything is a kind of miniature uh version if you think about it takes two or whatever where your um doll size in the world it's not quite like that is it yeah, it didn't actually read that way to me. It just felt like this was their world. It just—it's not mm. like oh, they're in their small Russian dolls in a human's world. We have mm. a train service of their own underground. That you but don't... there are there are things that you'll recognise oh, as sure, but it... real world objects that are outsized in this scenario. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's funny um, because there are certain things that will be like you said, real world objects that are outsized or like that characters will just interact with despite not having hands, you know, they'll yeah, walk yeah. up to a, to a key and it will turn or whatever. But then you have also other things that are, that are maybe to open a gate. You have to be a certain size doll. You hop in this little circle mm. and mash mm. the Y button for me. Mm-hmm. It would have been to open a gate. And like, so there's some indications that this is a world built for, you know, stacking dolls. To yeah. Do stacking dolls. It's a little inconsistent. I, I but call- then in, in other ways, you're just like, you walk up to a, a, a vent and you know, you're, your mechanic without arms can just, you know, telepath a wrench to undo some bolts. And it's like, yeah, it's fine too. I quite like the doors where you have to jump in it and then get the, the stacking doll that does high fives to like just high five the handle that comes out the door <laughs> yeah. to unlock it. I think we need more of those in real life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea a lot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's one solution. Of course, there are others. Um, we should talk a little more about the audio before we uh, go further into uh, the individual levels and so on. Uh, Ryan already mentioned the the little bit of piano theme. So the the main audio is uh, the original compositions are by Peter McConnell, who worked with uh, Tim Schafer way back in time on the from the early nineties at LucasArts or Lucasfilm Games on uh, various uh, point and click adventures, Monkey Island Two, Indy Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, lots of Star Wars games, um, and uh, and on and on. Uh, and then, yeah, has worked with uh, with Double Fine on Psychonauts and Psychonauts Two. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, Ryan, you were saying you're a fan of the uh, the title screen melody, at least. I'm kind of curious how much of this is Peter McConnell's original compositions, and how mm. much of it is like public sure. domain classical, because a lot of yeah. it felt mm, very yeah. public domain classical. But it that might just did. be he's I was very talented at emulating that style. I don't know. Mm. Any ideas, Brian? No, I don't. I was thinking about this uh, today uh, when watching the the, the Hobo King uh, vignettes because 
my mm. only my my only reference for these types of sounds and these types of pieces of music is in itself referential. Like as I said, like silent mm. movies, I didn't watch them, but I but I but I watched Silent Movie by Mel Brooks, and I I've watched the Three Amigos about 175 times, and it shows those opening scenes of the Three Amigos silent movies. You know, so so I my knowledge of this is already referencing references, so it's like mm. three steps removed, but um. But yeah, no idea if it was public domain. I was thinking about that too, Ryan, because that that piano theme at the top seems very much crafted for the menu screen of a video game. But then when you get into some of the more ambient or like the 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 sounds that are playing, the the musical pieces that are playing when you're in the world and other things, I'm not sure if they're public domain or not. No, I'm not. Fits the atmosphere though. <laughs> Creates an atmosphere and and fits. Uh, the uh, sound design for the for the we mentioned the the clicking clacking popping of the dolls uh which i think is that i'm not sure there are that many maybe there are different sound effects for the different sizes i assume it probably pitches up and down i hadn't really thought to clock that <laughs> but beyond that i can't actually i'm sure that there's various uh humorous vocal samples mm-hmm. without there being too many intelligible words although you didn't appreciate my make way impression at the top well, of the I show. Well, I did. I did. I was going to say that means there are some, but then some of the vocals are sort of, um, you know, Simlish or Banjo Kazooie esque yeah. yeah. type. It's a lot of mutters. Yeah. Uh, a lot of hoo, hoo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of harumphing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Rebel, rebel, rebel. All good stuff. Anything else to be said on that? I score? think. I think some of the sounds of of the dolls that have unique abilities are pretty good i think the the uh the engineer doll specifically where you can train you know like hit the the train whistle and yeah. charge ahead mm, uh, yeah, is yeah. really good <laughs> that's uh, that's also and we talk about this a lot on the show where the audio design is is married to the visual f- flourish that goes along with the audio like like when that when you key that engineer up and he takes off like the whole screen's shaking you really feel like you're this you know this big powerful beast and um some of the more i mean this is not to be juvenile but the 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 farting noise is pretty good. It's a good fart. The, the yeah. sick uh, noise, yeah. yeah, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, sick sticky. noise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nothing wrong with a bit of uh, lowbrow bodily humor <laughs> in an otherwise sophisticated game. I don't think. Same as <laughs> yeah. in uh, sometimes, you know, just a perfectly deployed fart gag in an otherwise witty movie can be just just what the doctor ordered. Uh, <laughs> tends to be tends to be when it's overdone that um, that I think those kind of things can get a little tedious. Uh, or or oversold. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe if you're a kid playing this and you're just wandering around farting and being sick on everyone. But, you know, at least there's a there's an intrinsic reward for doing so. At Boy, least do I have a six-year-old that would appreciate that. <laughs> I can tell you from experience. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Uh, Blue Weasel Breath again says, this is probably a me problem, but I tend to get lost in big 3D platformer spaces. So rather than finding it a helpful way of, way of getting oriented... I find the introductory pan through the entire play space that some 3D games do when you first enter the level to be wearying and confusing. Was I supposed to have been able to memorize <laughs> memorize all that layout and create a cognitive yes. map based on that single pan? <laughs> I think some people do. Uh, and since I wasn't able to, I am now at an irredeemable disadvantage when I try to pick my way through the level and find things. So when stacking did the full pan through the last level like a 3D platformer game might have... I'm afraid I got a bit overwhelmed and turned the game off for the evening. I haven't gone back yet, but definitely plan to. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. 
Does that resonate, Ryan? You were saying about yeah, finding it, the levels it, a bit large? I, I think they are a bit large when you try to get into... Like I think the uh, the Zeppelin in particular, there's a lot of kind of interconnectedness and a lot of uh, desire to um, mm. take different dolls to different solution areas and stuff like that, and it could be disorienting in that way. But uh, I think the the train at the very end, the second train, is the largest level by a pretty large margin, but it's very yeah. linear as well, and there's really mm-hmm. yeah. not a lot of reason to ever backtrack beyond like a couple of very specific instances and so you really do hit all of the points in order and they're really all designed like that where you're going to walk through the entire level and if you're not obsessed with getting all of the solutions then you can Mm. very easily just walk in any direction and it'll take you to the next place you need to go organically anyways yeah um but it's it's a bit difficult to try to keep it in your mind if you're trying to do 100% on everything. Yeah, and, and I agree, Brian. I, I think generally there's a forward momentum. It's you, it's not like these are massive sprawling worlds where you could take a wrong turn and find yourself miles away from anywhere. I think, of course, you, you do have the choice to go left or right sometimes, but mostly like just forward nature of complete the puzzle in front of you will lead to the next puzzle. You know, it's not like you're going to take a turn and then never find your way back again it's it's you know it's fit they are linear levels it's just if you're after a particular doll that might be you need to backtrack to but that's a very you know if you if that's something you don't enjoy doing or something that you're wary of the game doesn't force that upon you i think that you know there's a fairly straightforward path through most levels it's just when you want to you know to find all the solutions Mm -hmm. that yeah you sometimes you can find yourself and it's not i mean as I think Brian says, you like at, at one stage you were lost for five minutes. You know, it, it, in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, yeah. it's five minutes is five minutes. You know, it's frustrating, but you know, you'll survive. And if you do tab the right bumper or equivalent, it, yeah. and you're, you're already in the right place, yeah. well, it just tells you you're in the right place, and you know, <laughs> the you doll that need you need is near you. Know what I'm, saying? I'm like, yeah. where? Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a think about some of the individual stages and see if any of you've got any uh, favourite puzzles or solutions um you know i guess those of you who found all all the solutions uh can i say before we get into the individual stages from like a grander gameplay perspective uh, i think it's kind of interesting to think about the uh, lineage of design uh, that went into this game i think that this game kind of pulls upon other similar types of adventures in pretty intelligent ways that i think kind of inform the ways that each of the levels are built uh i think the most like direct point of comparison would be uh, Space Station Silicon Valley, in which you, yeah. you play kind of a, the little microchip that hops around and you can't really yeah, do yeah. very much until a you relative, take over sure. uh, yeah. other animals that have more abilities. Uh, but of course, the one that I kept coming back to in uh, in my recent playthrough is Hitman, that essentially this game yeah. is like a comedic Hitman game, like pretty much like straightforwardly all the way through. There's so much so many elements of that like social stealth there's not many blockers to get path uh past uh to be fair but um it all depends on you taking on another identity that you can pick up from the environment around you and to use mm-hmm. that to kind of uh finagle your way into situations that you wouldn't otherwise be allowed to be in and so there's there's a lot of both of those games you already mentioned Katamari Damacy um it's just interesting to think about like taking such disparate titles and uh putting them into an entirely different genre and it working out so well 
I I thought I was the smartest person alive when I was replaying this game and being like, man, this game's like Hitman 2016. <laughs> like I've got I've got to be the first. Per- I'm the only person who's ever thought this. And then of course you know, um, uh, but th- it's so true because now and I was going to, um, talk with some of our our, our fellow Kanan Rince uh, contributors because. Uh, a lot of them are Hitman fans, and and I was gonna pick. I was trying to pick their brains a little bit about about that comparison because there's something so interesting about a game to me um, that offers you a solution to each puzzle pretty on the nose, and you could just complete those levels. Like you could, mm-hmm. and I thought we talked about this on the Hitman one and three show, but also um, with this game, like if you wanted to complete stacking like it was a box to be checked what i mean maybe two hours you know you could just 90 minutes like just go complete the solution once and go to the end like you could you could make this a 90 minute experience you know nose to tail and see credits and have yep i've completed that game but much like exactly like hitman like the Mm -hmm. more that you do the more that you put into it the more side stuff if that's something that you want to engage with um, it just becomes this experience that all of a sudden you see the hours peeling away. And it's really interesting. It's got to be relatively harrowing as a developer to put all this stuff into a thing to not know if anyone's ever going to engage with it. Because if they check the mm-hmm. box, why wouldn't they move on to the steamship, to the Zeppelin, to wherever? Um, but me, I, I, I found the let's find the first solution, get that done, check that box. And then go into the other four or five solutions. That became the game to me. Well, because like I, I loved that feeling of being able to naturally suss out solution four or five. And it's fun because even in replaying it, I played you know, however many times I played this game. There's always a couple where I'll come back to a puzzle and be like, "Oh, how, what was the third solution to this one?" And you have to go back through that process again. It's, it's it's a lot of to me. I find that so satisfying. Just like a you know suit only silent assassin run of a hitman <laughs> level. Like I. Uh, I get that feeling. It's I love it. Absolutely love it. Quick, simple answer to that. I think it's because they give you other boxes to check. That's why most people carry on doing it. It's because when you have, even though you can progress through a level, it's you just sure. see mm-hmm. one one tick out or one badge, whatever they give you out of five. You're like, well, hang on a minute. Like, there's a lot of game here that I haven't interacted with. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with, of course, just running through it. Um, and and that, that's what I yeah, do. And, and then that's that's perfect. It's like Chris's. But there, there is an element of some of the they will give you the most basic solution almost. You know, there's someone next to it, and that's it. But some of the the solutions that you do trying to tick some of those boxes by the end of um, you know puzzle number five, you know that involves you doing multiple stages of of moving from A to B to get something mixed into a soup that then needs to be mm-hmm. taken to there, needs to be stacked into another gold doll to get through an area. And it's like there is a multi-stage element to that. So for, for for me personally, I've probably spent the best part of twelve hours playing through um, the just the base area of stacking, just because trying to go through each one of these things and understand what each one of these things require. But that's me. Like that. That's just who I am. If I play a game, I tend to want to see everything in it. But yeah. equally, you know, there's been other games in the past where I'm like, oh, we've just seen that text checkbox. If I'm not necessarily that much engaged or whatever with it they're going yeah yeah good enough move on but um helps right. if there's an achievement attached to it of course yeah, look, cool. um, i mean that's <laughs> which which back then yeah yeah it's just fine but uh you know it's sorry ryan you you were going to continue elaborate anyway on that oh yeah no problem uh as i was playing through this particular playthrough i found myself fantasizing about like 
what would the Hitman 2016 Paris level look like recreated in the stacking universe? And <laughs> oh, what yeah. would all of the different, like, unique, you know, what would the uh, opera level from Blood Money, uh, what would each of the unique characters uh, look like as their own bespoke, you know, Matryoshka dolls? And it's, uh, it's a fun comparison. It's a fun thought experiment. <laughs> Of course, Hitman Blood Money is coming to Switch uh, soon as we record this. But stacking isn't. Stacking isn't. <laughs> so yeah, the Royal Train Station is where you start. It's also kind of a hub level. You keep returning there and from there you can access the rest of the game. Uh, any favourite uh, moments or puzzles or solutions or hijinks from those levels, folks? The floor is yours. Um. I love clearing out the bar, um, and I'm not just making another <laughs> fart joke there. Um, IRL. They, uh, yeah, um, no, I, I really do enjoy... That was kind of the first set piece for me where I kind of started to peel back the layers of different things. That was the one where Ryan referenced earlier about the, 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 the woman who you can do to seduce the guard away from the front door and just kind of walk right in. And um, I, I, I enjoy that setup for a tutorial based area because it it really does build on itself in in a way that most people can understand or uh, a way that the, that I as the player could easily understand and I could see the game building on itself like here's this little area like oh what do we need to do we need to end the worker strike okay here we go what do I need there there and then you just kind of see the the branches off each branch and just the different prongs like well maybe I could do this maybe I could do that and it just it fed into that creativity uh for me that that then I don't think that there's a couple other levels we'll talk about that I think are are, are pretty great, but um, like th the solving of those initial puzzles and the figuring out how each dial works, the discovery of that train station, it's tough to recreate that because once you kind of figure out the gimmick, like you know what to do, or at least you know where you know where to start you know, with the puzzle solving. But that initial kind of wandering through the train station was really fun and exciting and and it feels populated too for like a for, for a game like even though they're just dolls like there's a ton of dolls mm -hmm. meandering about it feels like a bustling area um and then just even the just the the organizing the dolls by size and the in the ticket line things like that like you said you come back to it kind of as a hub like it just it just plays with all the themes in the game in a really organic way in there and i find much like uh tony said like i could just spend time just walk around that area just checking out different dolls did i get that doll yet how many dolls do i have left and like just wandering through there and figuring stuff out w was always a joy for me there are those two sets of stairs in the the very corner of the largest room uh that you really don't even notice until you've become so familiar with the space that you've exhausted every other potential place to look uh they're really kind of out of the way uh and um there's one on each side one leads to the like conductor's room where the the various train people uh i guess just hang out in their in their off time and then the other one just leads to uh like a pit overseeing like a bunch of kids shoveling coal it, it feels like you <laughs> really stumble into like the darkest possible like it, the child labor site and you could just walk up there at any time um but uh yeah that's uh interesting how like out of the way it is it's kind of fun to go in the uh in the restrooms there's not really anything there but it's kind of funny to see the differently sized toilets um that's a nice little touch as well <laughs> and so there's a hijinx for actually basically peeing in the restrooms with all yeah. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah fun uh side pursuit is collecting all the unique individual uh dolls from each 
diorama each level um and each one has a little uh bio as these things often do yeah um all, all everything gets stored in your uh your your little hideaway charlie charlie's secret hideout um which actually is really levi's secret hideout as far as mm-hmm. i can tell but um yeah so there's loads to um for those with a completionist bent there's loads to kind of fill in and get some kind of uh visual reward yeah there's there's those. also little doll sets so like there'll be members yeah. of the same family that groups exactly. together so you can get like you know four or five different sizes and just trying to stack them in and eventually like you get a little vignette of their family history or why they're there at that present place at that one time yeah it's quite interesting yeah loads to do beyond just uh the basic completion level two is the uh the gilded steamship uh on which there are four um dignitaries is that right and you need you need yeah, each of them to they refer to, as, to the captain yeah as vips uh, vips I, I i love the idea of this level where it's just like you know you could have a thousand people on the ship who are <laughs> yeah. in agony and pain and the captain's not gonna do anything but you get the four rich people to go complain he's gonna stop <laughs> yeah, so, i, I <laughs> that's just so funny to me and also pretty accurate <laughs> <laughs> Pretty accurate for how the world works. Yeah, and, and basically, you've got like a safari um, adventure exhibit. You've got um, a, a caviar service that you need to stop. You've got uh, the map room where you can go and destroy this guy's. But so it's basically just upsetting the people that uh, are important in this ship. Um, but I, th- this yeah. is one where I've made a few notes. It's just like how if mm. you're interested in in completing an individual yes. thing. Versus going yeah, through the whole thing. So I, I'll just take mm. a really basic one because this is quite a fun little one to do, which was um, you've basically got the safari exhibit on the front of the ship yeah. that you need to go to. And there's there's multiple. So I think there's five separate ways of completing this. And the first one would mm. be there's, there's this this guy that's determined to keep the rules and the regulations of this, of this exhibit in place. And if anything goes wrong, then he's going to clamp down and shut down the exhibit, which then your guy goes off and complains to the, the captain. But by doing this, you can essentially uh, mess around with a cannon and fire um, into one of the... I never even found the cannon. It's right in the (laughs) centre. And you can fire a a ball into the the funnel, causing the ship ship to misfire. Thus, the the exhibit gets shut down. Or you can um, go around and with the punching doll and punch all the heads off. Route one solution. Punch all the heads off uh, the exhibits. And once again, the broken exhibits, they can't do equally uh, a bit more uh, complex one is that you can essentially go into multiple different animal dolls where you end up with a lion type doll and roar at people in the exhibit so then they everyone starts to freak mm-hmm. out uh, and they yep. shut down and one of the final ones is that you <laughs> there there's randomly a bike cycling around the entire ship um yeah. with i said monk no, it was just with people on it. Um, and yeah, if, just people. Yeah. If you use one of the, is it the one guy that basically screams at at uh, a collection of these dolls? They move their exhibit straight in the way of the of the um, bike going around, which causes it to stop. Mm. But you still need to stack into the bike and then cause it to crash yeah. into the. So, like any one of those would have progressed the story. But if you were so inclined and wanting to achieve all of those solutions, you've got mm-hmm. like what could have been five minutes of gameplay or what could have been 20 minutes of gameplay solu- uh, uh, solving those solutions. So mm. it's just a, an interesting way of, I don't know, um, prolonging the experience yeah. if, you, if you're if so inclined. 
Yeah, I, I did the very route one, just smashing things <laughs> with the punching guy and was thinking mm-hmm. this is probably the least interesting way of doing this. But, you know, I've got a deadline to finish the game. <laughs> but I do remember enjoying, uh, was it throwing some thickener into the caviar, caviar yeah. boats yeah. so they can't <laughs> sail anymore? I yeah. think the route uh, one of that one is good. just tipping it out. You can just walk into caviar and just literally tip it upside down. Oh, really? Job done. Yeah. yeah. Um, or yeah. you can thicken it or you can... Well, unfortunately, yeah. having the child throw up into the caviar doesn't do it. I guess people are just <laughs> yeah, okay with that. So, yeah. I thought that was going to be the thing. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Like, when I was back into doing that, I, I was like, oh, that, I know this solution. And I was wrong. <laughs> That's interesting, actually, because one of the, the things they wanted to hit with the multiple solution idea was obviously to stop people getting stuck. But it was also to reward people from having mm-hmm. those those tangential thoughts where you think well this would do it right in real life uh logically Generally. even in a cartoon world throwing up in the caviar is going to do it so i'm kind of surprised they missed that one actually or they didn't didn't include it as a as a viable solution uh my favorite little detail is uh i really like that each of the smokestacks on top are a big cigar yes oh so good how are they uh, yeah like yeah. the titanic smokestacks that stick out yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, little cigars. I like that. Nice. Scale doesn't quite cool. work, but it's still cute. <laughs> no, they're very fast and loose with that. Uh, the whole scaling thing, which I think is uh, is absolutely fine. Personally, the Zeppelin of consequence, uh, sort of very, leaning very much into the the steampunk aspects of the, the and the Victoriana. Yeah, what what goes on here? What's fun to do? I love the 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 race that you can disrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think it's um, there's a couple really interesting um, it's like the monkeys on solutions. A bike. Most of them, most of them, fairly violent. <laughs> um, like when you it, it involves crashing the race, or like basically, uh, so you, you can you can use the um, the photographer to flash <laughs> uh, the races going on, and everything basically just you know. Um, just like crashes into one another um there's you throw banana peels on the track it's mostly about destruction um but no i really Mm. did enjoy that um uh, this is probably the level that i personally find the it's the most memorable for the wrong reasons and and this goes back to what we were talking Mm. about before with when it comes to navigation there is a lot of space to cover in between these puzzles and it's very easy to forget where you are or to to get turned around so um some of these in the replay for me were um, more of my frustrating uh, part of the playthrough for me. Mm. Yeah, I don't care as much for the visual theming of this one. It all feels very kind of like grungy and dim. Uh, and then the uh, navigation we've already talked about, this one in particular, is a little bit of a problem without uh, great ways to orient yourself in the larger space. But the um, the race is fun. There's the like silent movie actors that are close by mm. that are a pretty amusing yeah. set of of characters oh, yeah, to, right, to yeah. stack into each other. Um, and then uh, the, the other memorable segment is, um, is crossing the, the gas room. Uh, you can find one of those giant, mm-hmm. like what do they call like a big daddy suit? <laughs> what did the, <laughs> you know, like Bioshock? Yeah. Yeah. Bio yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and, and go through the, um, the <laughs> yeah. fan unharmed. That's what I did. Uh, there, there, are, there are other ways. That I, I know sometimes you get like the option to hop into a bird and fly up. Yes, is that There's... is that one of those places? Do you know that? No, that is one of those because you can. Um, 
you if you stack um, with one of the maintenance crew and you then stack into the bird, you can get the bird to fly up over the gas. Uh, right, essentially, right. then walk through, mm. unstack from that, and then turn off the gas. Uh, in that one, if I think there is it sure. Felicity Flower, I think it was her name, mm-hmm. that basically is having the opposite of you know, trumping with uh, you know noxious gas. She trumps with beautiful flowers and nice gas. Um, yeah. and that you also and then they, yeah, that de- <laughs> detoxifies the room so you can then walk through. Um, there's also the the opera singer who takes the deep breath before she oh, thinks, sucks so in all the she gas. She can yeah. suck in all the gas, but it, oh. she's fine. She nothing bad happens. To her, okay. but, but yeah, there's um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a. Uh, I think the way I did this one on the replay that I just did was per, with the perfume, with the, the potpourri one at the beginning. I remember that because it has that nice little like twinkly chime, and then the the flowers kind of you know sprinkle mm-hmm. around. I I like that effect visually. Well, let's have a look at some of the hijinks on this level because uh, I think it'll give people a sense of kind of what what shenanigans you can get up to when you're not actually actively solving puzzles. So you can uh, you can get the terrible Melvin hijinks by giving dolls the royal wedgie. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's actually somebody's uh, special skill, which factors into the final boss fight as well. Uh, there's does, a, yeah. a very good yeah. wedgie yep, joke right at the end. <laughs> Uh, you can uh, ride the aforementioned zip line. Uh, you can uh, film adult women with cameraman Joe. <laughs> yep. There's some really weird um, hijink stuff that happens quite a lot. And it's normally about men hitting on women and women hitting on men. Um, yeah. And it feels slightly odd. <laughs> like just randomly. It's, I, think... I suppose it sort of ties into that slightly, um, the, the, the kind of the saucy, the underground sauciness of Victoriana, thinking about the what the butler saw machines, kind of that sort of era where sure, yeah. sex wasn't talked about, but it was uh, is obviously it was it was all going on underneath. I think there's one called uh, the awkward hug or something like that. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you know, weird, awkward man hugging. Oh, but it's like if that would be fine. It was just like awkward hug people, but it's awkward hug older women, and it's just like that's very specific, <laughs> oddly specific. Yeah, yes. <laughs> maybe maybe it's a line of something that I just don't, haven't a reference towards something that I don't know. Or you can just hit mimes with your with purse a northern or kiss. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> that's just a yeah. that's just a national pastime. Yeah. I think um, <laughs> who doesn't want to do that? But... <laughs> Which takes us into the triple de- triple decker, even tank engine, which is yeah uh, the biggest, uh, most involved and elaborate and complex level. I would suggest you have to kind of get past uh, multiple sort of guardians. I suppose you could almost call them sub bosses, um, but there are again multiple solutions. Get past each one, and this is where you're actually trying to um, unite. The Blackmore family once again. The ultimate stack, Blackmore the stack. Yeah. stack. Um, yeah. This is this level's really interesting. Ryan uh, already mentioned this earlier, but the the linearity of this level is, is very interesting because it is huge. Mm. But there's one way to go. Like there's yeah. either yeah. forward mm-hmm. in the ship or backwards in the ship. Um, there there is a couple solutions where you have to go back down to the level below to pick up a dial that you might mm-hmm. pick yeah. up. Um, mm-hmm. but it is it's really it feels like you're progressing through a series of gates essentially. To get to the end of this, which is which I thought was an interesting change from the previous levels, because the other, all the rest of the levels, even though it's confined spaces, right? Um, there are certain areas you can't get into based on dolls or whatever, but they they felt more like sandboxes. Where this one literally felt, or, or excuse me, not literally. Um, I, I I literally use the word literally too much. Um, 
that where <laughs> you are progressing through challenges to the next challenge. Um, so it felt more video gamey to me in big air quotes. Yeah. Uh, didn't make it any less enjoyable to kind of get through because once you get through all four, there's a there's this unique sense of like freedom through the through the area you're playing in. But also, if you hadn't collected all of the dolls along the way, you're like, oh no, because you have to backtrack <laughs> yeah. through yeah. all these areas to find all your gold dolls. It's um, it's a fun little playground because each of these individual gates are, as you said, kind of um, they're cornered off by these guards. And they all feel relatively dangerous. Now, you can't really take damage. Charlie's not going to die or anything. But no. you do feel like they're out to get you more. It feels a little bit more like there's danger involved in this level than in other ones. Yeah, you tend to just want to always stack into somebody, don't you? You just you don't yeah, beat Charlie exactly. as himself. You just go round <laughs> always as one yeah, They up. can't see me. No. Yeah, they can't see my Argyle hat. I need to... Or not Argyle hat. My, uh, my Houndstooth hat. I need to, mm. you know, get, get through and do something. I think this is one of the levels where they they start to really... Certainly for some of the more challenging stuff, they, they add you need to be double stacked into somebody to use the like a combined mm-hmm. ability, say, versus yeah. like mm-hmm. um, use the fireman hose and then freeze yeah. with a smaller stack. So, you know, you need to make sure that you've got the correct stack in order. Um, mm. And they're obviously quite, they know what the solution is. So, you know, the smaller doll is going to go into the, the bigger doll for that scenario, but it's it's trying to work out from the solutions what that might be. Um, yeah, I was wondering, as somebody who didn't go through all the multiple solutions, like how involved does that stuff get? Are there any solutions that require kind of a lot of forward planning or careful um, selection not, of five dolls at a no, time? No, I'm not. It, it doesn't get that that intense because normally it would be knowing that. So, and I was trying to think that you do this in the final level. So, if you never mess around with this before in the previous level, this is it. But where you, essentially you can have that fire lighter like a candle burn bright and then you unstack yeah. out of that and you have the the i can't remember his name the the noxious gas guy that essentially trumps and it causes an explosion and that's how you get yeah. through the final stage but ultimately that's ability that you've learned through solving one of the puzzles prior to that mm. so if you've not necessarily done everything there that that might be a new thing that you haven't experienced at the very end of the game but um to to as as sometimes as weird as it gets you might have to maybe get a uh, a kid with a soup pot on his head. Yeah. And yeah, the soup have, to attract the pigeons, right? Have yeah. a pigeon that comes down, lands on top of the soup bowl, defecates in the soup bowl, and then take that soup bowl and feed it to a character. And then <laughs> that and that. then that opens up a thing and that would I think that's if I remember it was called Pigeon Brisk Brisk or something like that, wasn't it? It was like yeah, yeah. Pigeon Bisk. It yeah. was um yeah. Yeah. but you've got the it goes from a normal kind of cream soup bowl to a green glowy mess and obviously there's a very a similar solution to the same one where you have one of the sickly kids sneeze into the soup yeah and do the exact same thing Mm -hmm. um which is interesting but uh but yeah yeah there's a whole sequence involving uh uh contagion yeah that you can but no it's not like you need at, at the very end of the game there is like that five doll stack where each individual doll has their unique ability and that plays into that but that's like yeah. the ultimate nine times out of ten what happens in this there will be you know a two stack solution that will get through any yeah. puzzle there's, there's not like oh mm. you need five dolls um unless it was very mm. specifically towards the end just for kind of like you know that ultimate stack I was almost surprised that they didn't only rely on the Blackmore family for the kind of the final boss, but it does also utilize the workers, which I guess is actually part of the kind of the narrative point that that he's you, making. You might know this. 
so in that that final kind of end area um mm. because i've collected everybody it was filled up with tons of people and i assume that area is filled with the people that you've collected along the way if you don't collect those people mm. was it fairly busy anyway no you it's just basically got a load of the industrialists watching disapprovingly and a load of the workers so the sort of the manual laborers the people who can chuck coal onto stuff and hmm. um yeah. basically the people you need is it's, okay, it's so populated with, my a- with the people my you area require. felt like it was where i collected all the unique special dolls they were all crowded in that final area really? um and it felt like it was a lot more busier than just a few dolls it was like no no i mean it was busy but they were mostly just um copy pastes of the industrialists and the mm, workers okay. Which I assumed was, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a limit to how many they could put and have the game continue to run. But I was sort of initially, I, I, my, my assumption was that the, the, the final boss fight between the Baron would be just purely between the Baron and the Blackmore family. And it would all be all about the, their specific abilities. Mm. But actually, it's really not. It's also you need to still utilize various uh, workers with various other skills and techniques to to do the uh, five or six or have many different attacks it is on the on the baron to, yeah i think it's five yeah um, yeah it it was it's kind of an interesting progression there because i i felt the same way um leon when i when right. i first played through that that's what like, you're collecting the blackmore family right so then mm. here's going to be this big thing um and then at the end i i don't know having just replayed it a week ago um i don't know that that last section i know we haven't quite moved on there but holds up as well as I remember. I remember mm. that being like this culmination of all the things that I've learned, which it is, mm. Mm. but it did just feel like a, I, I had already done all the stuff I had got here. I'm, I, we, we, the families together. And then the taking down of the actual Baron just felt like a, a little bit more of an annoying chore as opposed to the entirety of the rest of the game, which was you've, got a myriad of different ways to solve this problem mm-hmm. yeah you're suddenly locked bar- in yes yeah. exactly it felt mm-hmm. it felt oddly constraining in a game that was a lot more about exploration for me because i i love solving the puzzle i love adventure games all those things but i, I some of my favorite parts of stacking are just wandering around and seeing a weird doll and getting into it. what does this do you know like that the creativity that that allows for at least the the creativity that it feels like as a player um is what drew me to that, and that last fight, that last area felt like maybe you know I I've been handcuffed a little bit. I appreciated that the final boss, the solutions to the puzzles, though they were fairly prescriptive, were at least utilizing different logics than you would typically put those dolls to in previous courses. Like there would be usually kind of another angle where it's like, oh, I hadn't considered that their ability can also be used in this way. It's interesting that I now have to. Uh, it requires a little bit of lateral thinking, almost in the same way that, like the Monkey Island insult sword fighting, you you got the practice mm-hmm. set of, you know, call and response that you knew, yes. and then when yeah. you were actually yeah. in the insult sword fighting boss fight, they mm. would give you different prompts that you yes. could use the same uh, the same retorts to. Uh, yeah, the the part that I didn't really like about the final boss fight is the like. Alex Kid like uh, rock paper scissors battle, <laughs> rock, paper, scissors. which was yeah, Shambow, yeah. <laughs> which was more kind that of like action weird... gameplay, which felt yeah totally. underserved yeah, by yeah, the right. uh, by the controls. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, the, the, I, I liked the, the invention behind it, but it felt a little bit arbitrary. And yes, like uh, this is the first time in the entire game, other than a, the odd bit of occasional dodging out of the way of guards when you're only only when you're in Charlie form, you have to hide from certain patrolling dolls. Suddenly you've got an actual kind of uh, reaction based element to the game where you have to hop in and out very quickly and Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it's completely again. It's it. The only punishment is time, so you can fail as many times as you want, right? And eventually, you'll mm-hmm. win, uh, as far as I could tell. Um, and it, there is a little bit of skill in the sense of you can't just hop around in the one that's going to win you the round because the AI, such as it is, is intelligent enough to realize that if you're already hopping around as scissors it it's not going to uh well. it's not going to jump into paper <laughs> kind of thing so right um so you have to kind of hover around the the ones that you need and then get ready to to jump in i mean it it didn't take very long it was fine but it i yeah i'm not sure it was it felt it felt to me like one of those things where they thought oh that's a cool idea and they felt like they had to include it even when actually i think maybe a more fitting conclusion would have been the final puzzle where you have to utilize all of the Blackmore family mm. together to to beat the Baron, but yeah, it just doesn't feel like it deal. fits in a way that a mm. lot of the other things do. Like, I mean, it fits in the sense that it's you know operational and you beat the game by doing it, but it just yeah. doesn't have the same identity maybe the other puzzles and solution does. That's that kind of may, maybe more my overall problems with that whole final section. But again, as you said, it's really not that long or involved it's just I, kind of the culmination of everything the, th- the thing that made me smile maybe a bit more than that was prior to that when you kept knocking down the baron into individual pieces and sizes that you know kids or whatever player characters would run off with either half of the baron and presumably <laughs> yeah. to almost like i don't know night living dead style like consume the wooden body into some sort of chip based thing it was just like it was just really i think that's your it, was it just does really rooms. raise questions about the game as well in that like each of the other stacks of people we you could tell that each individual layer was a separate human being whereas this one was like it's all barons <laughs> all the way down like it's just the same guy it's a literal yeah, uh, kind of eat the rich reference yeah. going on <laughs> yeah uh so that takes us to the separate level which is the dlc uh which is yeah included as far as we know now certainly on the pc version possibly on all versions um but it has its own little separate uh setting and story and 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 uh slightly different kind of vibe and tone and atmosphere although very much obviously part of the stacking world but it has uh it has that sort of slightly uh to the side feel that DLC sometimes can do. Uh, Brian, was this as as big a part of the the stacking experience for you, or, or was it uh, just an afterthought? No, it definitely is as big a part. I actually think the puzzles in this area um, and the solutions in this area mm. are, are some of the more inventive in the yeah. in the in the entirety of the game. And i th- I think it's it might be fueled for me by the fact that there is. It is this kind of his own standalone experience. You got that little central hub and the three spokes that go off to the three puzzles and then the final thing. Um, I, I do like how it's one continuous area with all of these different puzzles, almost in the way that the the steamship is or, you know, some of my favorite levels in, in the in the base mm. game experience. 
Um, it just felt like a natural extension of it. I thought the the Lost Hobo King story, like the story and narrative of it, was kind of a little bit more throwaway. But it did have some yeah. of the more uh, ingenious puzzles and and design. I I in playing through uh, again today, uh, I really loved uh, the idea of they have that one puzzle that basically has a uh, or the one doll, excuse me, that has a pallet on the top of their head that mm. you can use to. Sh- pick up smaller dolls and put them in different locations. And I was like, oh, that's a neat idea that wasn't in the base game. And I wonder, I was wondering if this was kind of like the island of like ideas that didn't make it, yeah. you know, or like cut the cutting room floor, for example, and, and just kind of the best scraps of that kind of cobbled together. It, it Yeah. It, maybe some things that they didn't have time to implement in the right. main game, like the, uh, the revealing of runes, things like that. Yeah. Sort of yeah, exactly. More special it's effecty. It's funny more. on the blurb. It's like the first of the stack in DLC. And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you only got one. Yeah, <laughs> It was yeah. totally a game that was absolutely made for DLC levels. Like yeah. it, they could have, mm. they could have, if the game had been successful enough, they could have just kept on adding new levels. And I'm sure the fans would have absolutely lapped them up. Different uh, time, on different no, time. <laughs> one, and, one and done. Yeah, badly. Anything else on The Lost Hobo King? I was surprised how short this um, one it, was. Like you could really do it mm. in like easily one sitting. Like it's probably less than an hour if mm. you're just going for like uh, individual solutions. It's only three quid, Ryan. Uh, no, I, I, I'm not <laughs> I, complaining. I was just, it, especially at the <laughs> end, there was a little bit of like, a, there was a little bit of a sense of like, is there going to be kind of a final twist? Is there going to be, because it kind of mm. drops you back out in that overworld. And it feels like there's like yeah. the potential for something else to happen. Yes. And it's just up to sure. you yeah. to kind of like, okay, I think I'm done. I'm going to walk away rather than the game coming yeah. to like a conclusive end. I was end. confused by that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, this after, like, I played it literally this afternoon and, and in 45 minutes, I want to say I was like at 83% completion. Like you're, yeah. it's really not sizable in that way. Um, even with some of the prior knowledge of, of how some solutions worked, I was still beating my head against the wall for some not remembering how to get the the raccoons out of their hovels to do all those <laughs> things, and, and I figured it out eventually, but uh, but yeah. The animal dolls are probably my favorites in the game, <laughs> rats and things like that, and bears. Did you, I, did you do I, the animal dolls in the DLC, Leon? No, I don't. I don't think I did. So Maybe. there's there are these raccoons in these in the in this hovel. Yeah, you no, get them out. You go into a, another dark area where you can get a bunny, and you use the bunny to hop in front of a panda. The panda jumps down, so and it's like one of those stacking, like you know, one of the sets, right? So it's yeah. bunny into raccoon into panda, which of course you know, natural connection, creating there. a monstrosity. Um, but then you're treated with this little vignette where the where the bunny and the raccoon were actual animals, but the panda was just a man in a panda suit. And they get freaked <laughs> out by the human. It it was hilarious. I was I was laughing cool. out loud on my couch and be like, I don't remember this at all. But there you go, still delighting me. Thirteen years later. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we've got a post from uh, the forum here from Raygear who says, charming dialogue and writing, a unique, bold aesthetic with some great multi-solution puzzles all wrapped up in a nice short package that doesn't overstay its welcome. It feels like the greatest non-fatal take on the Hitman <laughs> series I've ever played. Um, but yeah, talking about actual chuckles there, like I, um, I wouldn't have said uh, maybe I like snickered Riley a couple of times. It was that sort of level of amusement for me. Mm. Like, I, I don't think I was, I mean, you know, maybe if I was six years old and controlling the farting doll, I'd, I'd have been uh, in, you know, rolling in the aisles. But for me, it was the, it was a more kind of like a, 
a pleased smirk on the face rather than kind of uproarious laughter. I don't know if, if that's uh, if that's true for the rest of you or yeah. whether I was being po-faced. Yeah, that's accurate. No, I think that's yeah, that's about the same for me. I I was there the the thing that made it memorable to me was more the charm than the actual yes. humor. Like the humor mm-hmm. is definitely a through line throughout all of it. It has that tone. It's clearly using and and until uh I listened to that interview uh, with uh, Heather Alexandra and Lee, P- Lee Petty, mm. um, I, I, real- I knew they were going for this particular style, and he basically confirmed it, but just kind of the, the, the usage of archaic terms. I always had a smirk on my face, as you said, but it wasn't, was never quite, you know, you know, guffawing and falling down. Yeah. There's a few good jokes with the capitalists in the triple, triple-decker train, uh, how they can, like, pollute their surroundings as their special moves, and then in the uh, train car where they're having the piano party I appreciate that there's like little child waiters that run around and just like throw money at them. <laughs> like, would you like some more money, sir? Yeah, yeah. Actually, the um, yeah, some of the slapstick was was chucklesome, and um, yeah, just some of the goofiness, like the when you actually get the five pianists in into place, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, blue weasel breath again from the forum says, "I let my eight year old daughter play the game, and as I suspected, she had a great time." As soon as she found the doll who passed flatulence, she cackled like a hyena and was completely sold on the experience. What a super charming and fun little sample. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> they could have, I mean, yeah, they they spent a year making this interesting, charming game, but they could have just, uh, I wonder how long it took them to develop the uh, the one farting doll that they probably could have sold. I mean, in the grand scheme <laughs> of video game own. fart jokes, this is like a really good and really memorable video game fart like just the the, <laughs> the spread of the green like all around the character like it has such a satisfying it it, it has a satisfying <laughs> amount of space that it takes up It'd be so much uh so much easier in real life if farts actually did that. if people just laughed every time you farted that would be better it's just like some people get really upset <laughs> yeah, that's true well, we, we, do have, we do breath. have Fable coming up in a future issue, and yeah, it's got a good, well, it's got, it's got a dedicated fart button. So could have done a year of just games with farts. <laughs> could have had. Uh, this is where Chan. we really scrape in the barrel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like 50, 50 fart games. We'll do it in volume, volume 50. fifty fart games. <laughs> I Darren will be back for that one. <laughs> oh god, he'll be on every show. Yeah. <laughs> We also have just a trio of three-word reviews. Follow us on social media, if you like. Dylan Dark says Victorian sepia reform. G-Town Steve says Matryoshka yai ya. And Blue Weasel Breath, family-friendly charm. Yeah, I assume G-Town Steve's was a uh, a Kate Bush reference there, but um, <laughs> neither, none of us has quite got the chops to emulate that. Anyway, thanks, everybody. Uh, let's wrap up with our summaries as usual recommendations or not i'll go first simply not because i'm wildly negative on the game at all just because i feel like i played it the least know the least about it uh despite obviously doing the research to put the show together Uh, but yeah it was a nice time i bought it 13 years ago and then proceeded to not really play it um i'm not sure why i did find the concept clever and appealing i found the aesthetics appealing but for whatever reason the game didn't grip me or grab me at the time uh so it's been really pleasant to go back and actually you know get it off the the backlog kind of thing 
Um, obviously, there's way more I could do with it. The actual, the idea of doing all the multiple solutions is tempting on one way, but then on the other way, there's a thousand other games. Other games. <laughs> yeah. uh, several thousand yeah. other games, yeah, that I still haven't played. And this one took me 13 years. So um, I'm very happy I saw it through. Uh, I had some wry chuckles without, yeah, uproarious laughter. I appreciated the theme of the game, even though I don't think it sort of said anything especially new or more powerful than than other games or or stories that have kind of made the same points um but yeah it's a it's a nice time um if you've got game pass it's just there for you to play it may be in a backlog already you might have it on steam it might have been in bundles um and uh yeah if you want something i think actually playing this uh as a as a loose co-op game couch co-op might be um more enjoyable yeah. than just doing what I did and sitting there alone and playing <laughs> it and actually kind of uh, brainstorming with each other and coming up with different ideas, uh, different solutions and different puzzles for different puzzles um, and enjoying the hijinks together. Like a lot of those moments, like when you're watching comedy, a lot of the moments that are only worth a wry smirk solo are worth uh, a vocal LOL in, in, uh, in a group. So so it could be that as well. But yes, uh, a, a nice game. One of those games I'm really happy somebody made it because um, games like this are not guaranteed for sure. And um, yeah, I like it. Ryan. Yeah, I, I feel like this is a very pleasant game. Um, I I like it a lot. I like the art style in particular. I like looking at all the individual little dolls. Um, I think it's a very comfortable and pleasant game to play it's not one that i think immensely takes full advantage of what it means to be a video game not that every video game needs to but it's 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 a type of game that's very kind of simple in its execution it's all um just kind of logic puzzles that you could conceivably see working just as well as like a choose your own adventure book or something perhaps with some pretty pictures to back it up uh so you know it's not like uh, i wouldn't put it up there with uh with portal and the witness as you know games that fully embody what it means to be an exploration puzzle game in a three-dimensional video game space but it, it's very charming um it has some some great little chuckles along the way it has some really lovely uh painted figures uh that are just very nice and kind of there's a compelling aspect uh to uh, collecting all the little hijinks and uh, finding all of these hidden dolls and seeing the the funny ways that they interact. So it's, uh, you know, though it's not one that I perhaps have the most uproarious fun with whenever I play, <laughs> it's, um, it's one that has really and consistently stuck in my memory for the entire time. And so uh, as a, as a memorable little trinket, it's, um, it, it's, it's a nice time. And, I'd, I'd recommend that people give it a look, you know, play the first level or two and see if it, uh, see if it sticks with you. Mm. Yeah. I've said this before, I think, but uh, I actually think memorable is one of the most kind of valuable uh, adjectives we can use for a game because quite a lot of them aren't <laughs> in mm, my yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, Tony, how about you? Yeah. Really probably just to repeat what both of you two have said, but um, I, at the moment, I'm kind of knee deep in, you know, 50 hours of Baldur's Gate 3 and 
I'm playing through a Persona. <laughs> I'm on these like big chunky mm. games, and Me too. Um, <laughs> because it was been a Christmas period, so it's so it's been actually fun to put those down for a second and actually have something that's a bit more bite sized that yeah it's yeah. taken me you know yeah three or four evenings just to play through but i felt like i'm progressing rather than yeah, thinking it's miles away and that's been actually nice to remember these bite-sized chunk games what i will say it's one of those it's memorable because uh, we have to be very careful of using the word unique because very few things are unique. But and I'm, I'm not sure I've played too many games with Russian dolls stacking mechanisms. I've played games. I'm gonna I'm gonna allow it yeah. for, <laughs> for stacking. I I think like well, obviously there are gameplay elements which are derived Absolutely. from other things. Yeah. I think in 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 its in its entirety, I would say stacking is a yeah. unique video. So it has unique certainly has unique elements in its visual style. Yeah. So that that really kind of yeah puts it out there in, in one that has stuck in my mind and. Um, I've enjoyed just maybe ticking off a lot of those tick boxes and and and, and seeing a bit more what the game has had to offer. Um, I don't think it's the best thing I've ever played, and it you know it's 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 memorable enough. I think it's a hard game to to fall in love with because although I do think it has more to say than just you know stacking dolls, I think there there is a bit of more of a social commentary there that you know is actually one of the more interesting aspects to be found in in twenty twenty four. The gameplay, yeah, it's it's kind of like it is somewhat rudimentary, and um, I've enjoyed my time with it. Uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it for people that haven't actually sat down and 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 given it a shot. It's probably super cheap wherever you get it nowadays, and it is it's a an, an interesting game to sit down and play. Certainly in twenty twenty four. So yeah, I liked it. Maybe not loved it, but I I did certainly like it. Thanks, Tony. Well, maybe somebody who didn't find it so difficult to fall in love with stacking is Brian, who chose it for. For our show, without uh, wanting to lead you, uh, your show, your choice, your wrap up. Yeah, I I agree with most of what everybody said uh, previously. I I do I do love this game. Um, I, I did find it pretty easy to fall in love with. Um, one of the things though that uh, Leon you mentioned, Ryan, everybody's mentioned it. Um, is that word memorable, and that's what I was really thinking of. I, I I was I feel every time I'm asked to nominate a game for this show of all shows, the Canerans podcast, I always I find it such such an honor because I've listened to the show for years, and I think about some of my favorite episodes of the show, whether listening to the Conker's Bad Fur Day episode where Darren hosts and it has the music playing in the background, or the Undertale episode, which I think is just a a masterclass in how to talk about games you love and. And I just think about all those things, and, and what makes those things memorable are, are those unique experiences. What makes it unique to the people that played them at the time? What what made those games great to those people in that moment in their life? And for whatever reason, stacking is just a game that's always been in my head. It, from the minute I, I loaded up that first screen, whether it's the music, the visual style, the the fact that I'm prone to adventure games anyway. I mean, Day of the Tentacles is one of my favorite games of all time. Like, I, I love LucasArts, and obviously Tim Schafer had a huge part to deal with that. Like, I love the lineage that this game came from, all those things. Like, so I was pretty, pretty, you know, designed or like at least structured to like this game before it was even out. And then it came out, and it just it won me over with its charm, with its just how how unique it is, how fun and whimsical, yet still a little serious it can be at times, and it just you leave this experience with that feeling or I did, should I say with the experience that I'm not, I've never played anything like that. And maybe more importantly, and even a little depressingly, I'll probably never play anything like it again. It's not like 
it's not like we were going to be have a slew of rushing nesting doll games <laughs> after this. You know what I mean? Like it, this is a kind of a one off. Um, it's 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 there. It's in its own little time capsule, and you can play it and enjoy it or not. But like this is a game that I I find truly remarkable in the sense that it is a game that that <laughs> that requires remarking on. You need to think about this game and talk about this game because games like this don't come around very often. I was looking at my top 10 list from last year that I'm writing myself just for me. And it's filled with games that are, you know, games that are experienced. We've seen things like this in in the past and, and the games that rose to the top of my list, including one that we will be talking about on next week's episode uh, of the show are games that managed to separate themselves from the rest of the noise and be something Mm -hmm. that would, that had an identity that had that whether it looked sounded felt different and to me the and I said this at the beginning the value of that now especially now like where everything feels like it's we're ending this like everything feels more and more homogenized every single year every single day whether it be movies art music games everything that to have something that that manages to stick out in your memory all, 13 years later and I still can hum that piano tune that I'm still I'm willing to buy a Lee Petty game day one sight unseen just because I want to see what perspective he's coming from next like that those are just whether or not this is the the greatest game of all time one of your favorite games of all time I don't think that matters because it's memorable and there is just so much out there that's forgettable and I just love celebrating that stuff and talking with you guys for the last two hours about stacking has just been awesome and why wouldn't I nominate a game like that? You know what I mean? Like, like it just, I, I, I have a huge smile on my face talking about talking about this game. You know, like it's just, mm-hmm. it's really unique, memorable. And I think that even if you don't enjoy it, you'd walk away from it being like, I don't think I'll play anything like that again. And that's worth its weight in gold to me. Brian for president. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I was going to say charming and delightful. Yeah. And that's just Brian. <laughs> the game also. You are too kind, uh, as always. Uh, yeah, so that's stacking. We've covered a few Double Fine games before. If you check our back catalogue, you'll find Psychonauts, both games, and Grim Fandango, which is a Lucas game, and at least one other that I can't think of right now. But anyway, you know where to find us. For now, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian and Ryan and Tony and our editor, Jay, as well as all of our correspondents, and of course, as always, you for listening. And as alluded to next time in issue 603, beat em up to the beat in Hi-Fi Rush. 